Wonderful job, Miss Taylor and Nathaniel. We appreciate you very much. Beautiful song. I want to thank Brother Chris and his ministry. Inspired these kids early with music, and uh, it's still with them, and so we appreciate that. So good to see you this morning in the Lord's house. I'm excited about this message. God's been stirring it in my heart all week, and I pray that you would pray for us as we share the Word of God, that it would go forth and it would honor and please the Lord. We're in the book of Romans on Sunday morning. Book of Romans, chapter 7, is very special to me because it describes man in one of three conditions. You're either a spiritual man. I'm using that word man as general neutral. Man, woman, boy, or girl. You're either a spiritual man or you're a natural man or you're a carnal man. We've looked at the life of the spiritual man. We've looked at the life of the natural man. And this morning we'll conclude this study with the life of the man that is carnal. Somebody said you don't know what somebody's made of until you squeeze them. Until you put them in a tight spot. Until they're in a hot condition. Then you know what they're made of. See, if you take a spiritual man and you squeeze them, Jesus should come out. If, if you take a natural man and you squeeze them, well, the devil will come out. Take a carnal man and you squeeze them. Boy, you never know what's going to come out. More than likely the things that are carnal of this world. We'll look at this together. Paul gives an accurate description. Chapter 7, I want to look at verses 14 through verse 25. If you found your place, we invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures and we'll honor reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible inspired word together. Paul says in Romans 7, 14, For we know that the law is spiritual. Paul said, But I am carnal, sold under sin. This is Paul speaking. For that which I do not, or I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then... Do I that which I would not, I consent to the law, that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that which I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this vile or this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Lord, thank you for a picture in the life of Paul for the struggle of the flesh 
and strengthen the Spirit. I pray, God, that you'd open our minds to the truths of this text this morning. And may it transform my life and the life of this congregation that I love. Lord, I pray that you'd do a work as only you can. God, would you please save those who are lost? And God, would you convict and challenge all of us who are saved? And we'll give you praise for what all you accomplished in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God. I'd say after reading a text like that from the lips of the Apostle Paul, you're glad to sit down, perk up your ears, and pay attention for a little exposition. Whew, that's a lot, isn't it? Poor old Paul and his struggles here. This morning, as I said, we conclude this, this great chapter 7. Chapters divided into those three major divisions, each section describing the work of the law. Don't forget that's the theme. It is the work of the law of God in the life of, again, the spiritual man. Who is that? As I said earlier, he's a believer. He's dead to the law but alive to Christ. He is a believer whose life is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God and lives under the leadership of the Spirit of God or under the leadership of Christ. If you didn't know, that's the place that all of us should desire to be. That's the person that every one of us should be striving. None of us have reached perfection. Paul already said, I, I have not arrived, but I do seek after. And so that's where we long to live. And then the Bible says that we have the work of the law and the life of the natural man. See, you don't wipe away the laws of God. You can't get rid of them. They're at work in the life of the spiritual as well as the natural. And the natural man is an unsaved man who can rise no higher than his own intellect, morals, or self-righteousness. And the sad thing about it is he thinks he's okay, but the truth of the matter, he's condemned by the law of God. That's why he tries to get rid of them. That's why he tries to remove them out of school and out of the courthouse, out of society. But you're not. They're written upon the hearts of men. They're written in our minds. Nobody has to tell you it's wrong not to commit adultery. Nobody has to tell you it's wrong to lie. And nobody has to tell you it's wrong to covet. Nobody has to tell you it's wrong to murder. God's already done that. And a lost man without the Lord is condemned by the very law. And the wages of his sin brings death and hell. Now this morning we're going to look at the carnal man who is a saved man, but, and it's a very powerful conjunction here, but is still dominated by the power of sin and under the control of the old Adamic sin nature. That's the nature you receive from Adam. And so by quick review, the spiritual man is a man that is delivered from the law. The natural man is a man that is doomed by the law. And now we'll see what the carnal man He's a man that is defeated by the law. And our text this morning reminds us or reveals to us the war that rages within the carnal man. I believe those who are living in carnality are the most miserable people on the planet. It's a war that's raging within them. But I'm not going to leave you with just the war. Paul gives us the remedy. The remedy of a man from moving from carnal to spiritual. A man moving in his life from defeat to victory. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long living in carnal life that you're tired. You're sick of it. As the old timers say, you've had a belly full of it and you desire victory. Well, I'm going to go ahead and cut to the chase this morning. Victory is found only in Christ Jesus. This morning, as we look at the law, I want to give you a couple of thoughts. This morning, the law of God reveals the conflict. Let's look at this conflict again. Don't forget the author. Don't tell me you can't struggle with this stuff. If the Apostle Paul struggled with this stuff, you can struggle with all this. 
And Paul gives us a struggle when he says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For that which I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Then, or now then, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. And so this shows us the conflict, the internal conflict that the Apostle Paul faced. But in we look at this conflict, we see a perception. And I want to talk about believers. Who did I say the carnal man was? He's a believer. She's a believer. But instead of being under the lordship and the leadership of Christ, being under control of the Spirit, they're allowing the flesh, the world, and the devil to dominate them and control them. But he said, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer, you have a perception. He says, and he uses the term, verse 14, for we know, common knowledge. It's common knowledge, for we know. We know every true born-again child of God knows full well the law is spiritual. We know in our hearts that the laws of God are right. They are perfect. They are pure. They are holy. They are just. They are good. Why? Because they come from God, who is a good God. James says, and I'm paraphrasing, he says all good and perfect gifts come from God. So we know that James says that God's gifts are good and perfect just like he is. His laws are a reflection of his flawless character. His person is flawless, therefore his principles, his precepts, hence the law is absolutely perfect. A perfect person cannot do an imperfect work. The Bible says he can't lie. And so what he gives is good. It is right. It's good for you. And so that we know. All believer knows it whether they're living like it or not. They all know that. But it's also seen in our position. Look at this position. Paul says, he said, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He borrows the language of the slave market to illustrate us his position living a life of carnality. He illustrates it as a slave being sold to the old nature, or another word is under sin, sold under sin. And so through the knowledge of the law, you need the law. You need the Word of God. You need more preaching instead of less preaching. You need more time in the Word and the law of God than less time in the Word of God. And as you look in that, you see how you're being a slave to the old sin nature. You're sold under sin. So it's the knowledge of the law of God that convicts, but it also shows the conflict that's involved in your heart and your life. See, the law of God demands perfection. Anybody there yet? <laughs> if you raised your hand, I need to talk to you. <laughs> The laws of God demand perfection. Do you realize that perfection is God's minimum requirement? The carnal man just simply cannot, cannot, cannot live up to God's standard of perfection. Now do you understand? I want you to listen to me. Now do you understand why the great apostle Paul said, I'm a carnal man? Why? Because I don't care how close you get to God. I don't care how much you grow and you arrive, you think so. One look at the holiness and the perfection of Almighty God and you'll see the imperfections in your life. How many of us understand that the closer we get, the, far, the more we see how much we need? And he's saying that I am carnal. I am sold under sin. 
That is my position. God's requirements are perfection. I simply cannot behave the way that God wants me to. Charles Stanley was interviewed many years ago, and it, it blew the interviewer away. I thought it was kind of good, so you, you, you must think that the interviewer didn't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge. But he asked him, he said, Dr. Stanley, if there's anything that you could be for one day in a 24-hour period, what would you choose to be? He said, a Christian. Dr. Stanley, in touch ministries, on TV, touching the world. We thought if anybody's a Christian, you're a Christian. And he looked at the interviewer and he said, you don't understand what the word Christ-like means. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. You said for one 24-hour period day, what could I be? He said, I don't want to be like Christ. Paul would say the same thing. He said, but I'm sold under sin. I'm a carnal man. So that's the real conflict in this life. The flesh produces far less than what God's standard requires, which is perfection. And so that there's a real conflict in the life, let me say it again, of a true believer. Because as a lot of people say they're going to heaven, it's not going to heaven. But a true believer, it's a conflict in their life because in their flesh they cannot please God. And when they yield themselves to their flesh, they realize how much they displease God. That is his position. That was his perception. Now, let's look at our performance. It gives us the undesirable outcome. He, Paul says, and I, th this is a lot of King James language. It's a little bit difficult, so I'm just going to paraphrase it for you in the Stony Creek vernacular. Is that okay? You read it with me. I've read it to you twice. But here's what Paul says. The things I do, I shouldn't do. And the things I should do, I don't do. Can anyone here this morning be honest and relate with Paul? Paul also said, I do desire obedience to the laws of God. I just can't help it. When you get saved, you can't help it. Now, y'all help me here a little bit. Before you knew Christ, you could care less. You're on the highway to hell with a hammer down. You don't care. No laws. No boundaries. No restrictions. But when a man or a woman gets saved, they care about the parameters, about the precepts, about the principles and the laws of God. What happened? It's not you. He put that in you. And because of that, Paul said, the things I don't do is the things I need to be doing. The things I do is the very things I don't need to be doing. But I do admit to you there's a desire in me to be obedient to the laws of Almighty God. But the problem is, he says, I yield to the law of sin. I possess both, and so do you. What do you mean possess both? As a believer, in us we have the laws of God in and on our hearts. But at the same time, as a believer, the law of sin also dwells within you. Every born-again child of God, hear me this morning, it's not very confusing, it's simple, but it's profound. Every true born-again child of God has two natures. You have the old sin nature. We call that in theology the Adamic nature. It is simply means the nature you received at birth by Adam, your father, the federal head of the human race. And if you all hadn't read the book of Genesis, he failed. He failed God. He sinned against God. cost him. cost him immortality. It cost him life in a paradise. Don't you tell me that sin doesn't cost. Don't you ever tell me that your sin doesn't affect anybody else either. Because the entire human race fail 
in debauchery and depravity because of Adam, our father's sin. By one man's sin, death entered into this world. Listen to the word of God. The soul that sins, it shall surely die. You got that. You got that. I've got that. We've all got that. All of Adam's ruined race has that old Adamic sin nature. Well, you see it early, don't you? I think of a child as a baby. It's not long you see that innocence just kind of slip away. They'll test you. Oh, not my child. Oh, they'll test you. I, I got tickled. I really did. My wife was so worried we was going to have marital problems when she found out that she was pregnant with Andrew. Because she, raised, she was raised in a home with no discipline. She didn't believe it was right to spare the rod and spoil the child. She just didn't think it was right to discipline a child. Now, I come up with strong discipline. I mean, my mom would beat me 10 minutes saying, you wait till your daddy gets home. I thought, why? There's nothing left time he gets home. And so that's just who I was. And so I'll never forget my mind was these. She said, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have trouble because I don't believe in it and you believe in it. And I know we're going to have trouble. So the 20-week ultrasound changed my life. Because at 20 weeks, we found the sex of the baby. They said, y'all going to have a boy. I said, praise God. Praise God. I said, you'll be cured. Some of y'all get that a little later. I'm picking on Andrew, but Andrew in his innocence, I mean in his innocence one time, mama was cured. And then out of his innocence, he walked up to her after she had spanked him, just in diapers, a toddler, and he said, Mama, next time I need a spanking, would you just spank me and not daddy? And I saw him, God is my witness, I saw him running down the hall saying, Not the spoon, Mama, not the spoon. you got two natures. You'll see it rear its head early. Y'all respect Dr. James Dobson? Boy, I do. Focus on the family. You know what he said? He said you'll see that rear its head early. That evil Adamic sin nature in small children. He said if you don't break it then, it'll break you. Why'd you say that? Because we all possess it. I never had to convince a parent in here. But I'm talking to grandparents right now. We all have those Adamic sin nature in us. But those who are born again, that Adamic nature can do nothing right. But we also possess a brand new nature. The nature of God. The nature of Christ. Christ in us. Our only hope of glory. Christ in us. A nature that can do nothing wrong. So we have a nature in us from Adam that can do nothing right. I've proved that every day of my life. And we have a nature now in us as a believer of Christ that can do nothing wrong. Do you understand now why there could be a conflict? Do you understand now why there's a war? I mean, these two natures are in constant conflict one with another. Why? Because they are incompatible and they're irreconcilable. Would you listen to C.S. Lewis in a quote concerning this truth? He said, no man knows just how bad he is until he has tried to be good. 
That is the essence of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter number 7. Second of all, I give you the law of God reveals the confrontation. Because you understand as a believer, help me here, you understand as a believer, you're not going to live carnal and not have a confrontation. You ever got by to your sin as a believer? Hey, he's just too good of a father. You're not going to live carnal and go on without having God confront you. I should say his word, his law. We're still talking about the work of the law. That's what he uses. Let's look at this very quickly. He tells us in this confrontation there's a war of desires. Look at verse 18 with me. For I know that in me, Paul said, that in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. For if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I do good, Evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And so we see two things here. One, desires, and then we see a war of dynamics. Look, look at the, the, the war of desires. Everybody knows this. You really don't need me to spend time of it, but it's in the book, so let's deal with it. I mean, there's the desire of the flesh. If you don't have these natural desires of the flesh, something's wrong with you. They're part of the old Adamic nature. I'm talking about all manners of lust and sensual desires. The Bible describes it in three frames. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I mean, the flesh is rebellious. The Adamic sin nature hates authority. You, you ever notice when somebody tries to tell you what to do or rule over you? Try to put you in your place or try to correct you or curb you. Now, there's a lot of you that's been in the military. And you'll bite your tongue because you know better. And you know what it's like to fall under rank because there's stiff consequences. And there's a lot that need the military. Y'all going to let me say that? You'll just spout out. You know, I went on a ride along with the Elizabethan Police Department, and I've never been so hurt and disappointed in my city in all my life. When I'd see young teenagers get up in the face of law officers and begin to cuss, be disrespectful, and say all manner of things to them. And then they crawled out the parents, and I see where they got it. But no matter if you understand discipline and rank or whether you're anti-authoritative, that old Adamic sin nature, when there are parameters, when there are boundaries, when there is authority over you, there's something that rises up within you and says, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You can thank Adam for that. God said, don't eat of the tree. Anti-authoritative hates rules, hates prohibition, that's of the flesh. The flesh desires all manner of evil, wickedness, thoughts, words, deeds in our flesh. Paul said it right. Would you listen to him? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. 
You've never gave in to the flesh. You've never operated in the flesh that you've been proud of. No good thing. So that's in you. Don't, don't look super spiritual. It's in all of us. It's in every single one of us. I told you there's a war. There's a war because there's something that's different within us. And that's the desire of the Father. And that's to live according to His Word, to live to fulfill the will of God for our lives, to do that which is good and pleasing to God who rescued us from hell and ransomed us with His own blood. But the war comes from the carnal man desiring two different qualities of life at the same time. Here's a man or a woman that seeks to gratify their own flesh, their own sinful flesh, by the pleasures of this world while at the same time trying to please God. Can I tell you, and I want, I want to save you a lot of heartache, I want to save you a lot of time, and I want to save heartache for all those around you. It can't be done. You, you can't satisfy your sinful flesh and please God at the same time. Can I get an amen? I, I, there's amens because people have tried that. They've experienced that. It does not work. If you don't believe the amens, if you don't believe what it has said, remember these two lifestyles are polar opposites. You cannot have one foot in the world and the other in the Word of God. That leads to war every single time. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and materialism or God and you name it. You just can't. And every attempt of that will always lead to a constant internal warfare. That's why people are miserable. They try to live in the world and in the Word at the same time. You can't do it. There's a war of dynamics. Let's look at that because it helps us. There's the law of God in our mind. As I just read to you, Paul confessed the desire to please God and live according to His commandments was present in his heart. It was present in his mind. He desired to delight the will of God for his life. He desired for the delight... And his delight was that the, that the laws of God would point him heavenward, leading him into the process of sanctification. He was saved but needed to grow. That's what the process of sanctification is. And I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to develop in the Lord. And I know that the law of God is what leads me to that. It leads me to a life of holiness. He wanted God's best for his life. And every true believer knows exactly what Paul's saying. I mean, every believer cannot read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That, that's... that's the Beatitudes, that's the facts of a Christian. And every one of us can read that as believers and say, Yes, I want to live like that. Amen. That's what we want. It's in our hearts. It's in our mind. But the other law is warring against us at the same time. And the law of sin is the other dynamic. The law of sin in our members. So we've got the law of God in our minds, in our hearts, but we got the law of sin in our members. And Paul confesses the law of sin, depravity, debauchery was also present to him at the same time, pulling him not heavenward, but hellward. It's kind of like gravity, the effects of gravity, pulling him down. It's the law of sin in our members that urges our eyes to look with lust, our hearts to covet, our tongues to wag with gossip, our ears to strain to hear that which is filthy and vile, can I tell you the most important quote I'll give you this morning is this. If sin filters through your mind, it is more likely to function through your members. No wonder you better guard your mind. No wonder you better love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Because if it filters through your mind, more than likely it will be functioning through your members. And I think the misery of war, because this is a war, every believer understands. But the end result of war is death to the enemy. You understand that's why you go to war. 
You, you don't wage war unless you want the enemy destroyed. So the end result of war is death to the enemy. The enemy is the old Adamic sin nature. Paul says it's got to be crucified. It's got to die. Does it take you very long living the Christian life? Does it take you long to realize that there's a part of me that I love and there's a part of me that I hate? There's a part of me that I want to live and to prosper and there's a part of me that I want to die? Now, if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm talking about my old Adamic sin nature, the carnal part of me. It's no good. It is no good. It needs to die. But there's a part of me that's not me, but it's him within me that gave me life and promises me eternal life. It needs to prosper. It needs to grow. It needs to mature. It needs to develop. It needs to thrive. And so no wonder Paul was saying death to the enemy. Paul used a brutal analogy from antiquity to illustrate the seriousness of our sin and the old Adamic sin nature. Look what he says with me again. He said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. What's he saying? Again, it's a serious, serious illustration. This is gross. I, I'm trying not to gross you out, but it's, it's a true illustration. Back in antiquity in some of those regions, as a penalty for a murderer, they would take the corpse that had been murdered, and they would attach it to the murderer. They would bind them hand to hand, feet to feet, face to face, with the corpse that they killed. Why? So, I don't want to say brilliantly because that sounds horrible, but strategically allowing decay and death, which they caused to be the cause of their death. That decay and death would infiltrate their body. Do you see what Paul's saying? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body? The body of death. He said, I am confined. I am strapped to a putrefied, decaying corpse that can do nothing but destroy me. He's saying the old Adamic sin nature in me is slowly killing me. You understand that? It didn't take me long past eight years old as I got saved to realize that there's a side of me that's killing me. There's a side of me that's causing decay. I just thank God there's another side of me. Another side of me that can bring conquest and victory. Look at verse 25. And I say me very loosely because it's not me, it's him within me. Verse 25 says, I thank God. If you stopped in verse 24, you might as well just throw your hands up in the air and walk away. Verse 25 is the remedy. He said, but I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, and by my flesh the law of sin. The first clause gives us the law of God, reveals the conquest that we have in Christ Jesus. So I told you earlier, I give it in the beginning of the sermon, the person of victory is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I just hope you can use a personal pronoun there. He said, our Lord. See, Paul knew he wasn't along in this struggle in this battle. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not alone in the struggle in this battle. I don't care how far you've come, and I don't care how far you think you've arrived. We all have a battle with carnality. 
And the only victory any of us will ever have is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure He is your Lord. He is Lord, and as Lord, that's all you need to know. He means He's more than enough. He's more than enough to deal with all of my flesh, all of my sin. Ladies and gentlemen, He's more than enough to deal with Satan. Matter of fact, He's already took care of that on the cross of Calvary. And I rejoice in that victory. Therefore, He's more than able to take care of our struggles in our flesh. But victory over the law of sin is found only in surrender to the Lordship of Christ. See, I really don't understand. I, I really don't understand when I try to be as explanatory as I know how when people say they're lost and they're undone and they want to give their life to Christ. I tell them, I, you've heard me. I mean, over 14 years, you've heard me. I said, I don't believe in easy believism. I don't believe in signing a little card and going through a baptismal pool and putting your name on the church roll and think you're going to heaven. I don't believe in that. I believe in you surrendering your will for his will. I believe your life in exchange for his. Now you do that through communication and prayer. You cry out to God in repentance. God will save you. I do believe that you need to go through the baptismal pool. Why? As a witness to show the world I'm no longer who I was. But I'm alive in Christ. I'm identified with him. The penalty of sin no longer has its sway upon me. I've been delivered and set free by the blood of Jesus. And I want everybody to know, I also believe you need to put your name on the church roll. It's important. If Jesus died for the church, you are to live for the church. Be faithful to church. Come to church. Go to Sunday school. Tithe. Quit being a God robber. Serve. Do. Witness. Be the light of Christ outside the church. I believe in all that. But I also believe that it starts with not a not easy believism, but a total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell them, I tell them, I tell them, I tell them, I preach it, I tell them. It's your life for His. Preacher, I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. I found out most people just want a little fire insurance. They just want a quick ticket out of hell. But you can't separate Savior and Lord. If He saves you, it's on the demands that you accept Him as Lord. And as Lord, He's boss. As Lord, He's in control. And we get in trouble when we don't give Him control. We allow the flesh, the world, and the devil to influence us instead of the Lordship of Christ leading us are you with me this morning there's where the struggle comes from but the remedies in Jesus you know what you need to do just like Paul did hey if Paul set a good example I want to follow it Paul said I think I'm gonna read it to you again verse 25 I thank God through Jesus our Lord Paul said I I made him Lord and I'm not the only one. You need to make him Lord. You need to yield yourself to the Lordship of Christ, and there's victory. The position of victory is in the inner man. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
And so the position of victory is found in verse 22 where he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And so there must be more than knowledge and resolve to live a pleasing life to God. And you, you, please hear me. Please hear me. When I tell you there's got to be more than knowledge. And there's got to be more than a strong resolve to live in a life that pleases God. Well, you said, Pastor, I thought that's all it took. No, no, no. It takes more because Paul had both. And yet he still cried out, oh, wretched man that I am. He said, I have it in my mind. I want to serve the Lord. But in my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So it does take more than knowledge. It does take more than a strong resolve. What does it take? It takes strength in the inner man. It is not us. It is Christ in us. The victory takes place in the new nature, the nature of Christ, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. No wonder Paul prays for the Ephesian church, for God to strengthen with might in the Spirit, His Spirit in their inner man. Ephesians 3, 6. So the war will rage with both natures until the day of the Lord, until He calls, till He comes. We're going to war. We're going to fight. That's why Jude said, fight, wrestle content just remember salvation and i'm going to say this and some of y'all going to say what did he just say so i'm going to say it with a disclaimer listen salvation does not change cleanse or reform the old adamic sin nature it just as wicked as ever been i promise you i've been saved since i was eight years old i know that I've done my best to live for him down through the years. But if you take Jesus out of Jamie, he's just as rotten and as vile as he's ever been. So it does not, it does not change, clean, and reform the old Adamic sin nature. It's as wicked as it's ever been. Salvation just simply gives the believer a brand new nature that is sufficient to crucify, to put to death the old nature. And that is the change that we talk about in the life of the believer. So to do so, to have victory, we must learn how to, here it is, starve the flesh and feed the spirit. This is so simple yet so profound. The one you feed is the one that will dominate. The one you feed is the one that will grow. The one you feed is the one that will conquer. Anybody else struggle in the flesh? Is there anyone here, I'm serious, who can relate with the Apostle Paul? If there's a yes to that question, I would urge you, I would beg you, I would plead with you to come to this altar and yield yourself to the work of the Spirit of God, asking Him to help starve the flesh and feed the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you. I'd ask you to pray and ask God to strengthen you with His might in the inner man. Come to Christ. Live under His Lordship. Now, if you're lost, the natural man, as we talked about last week, I'm very fearful for you. See, I've got to struggle, and I've got to fight as a believer until Jesus calls me or until he comes. But I really feel sorry for the natural man, those that are lost and undone. They have nothing. They have nothing to combat. They have nothing to war with against the sin that is in their members. And that's scary. Because the end result is death and hell for all of eternity. So I would urge you, I would beg you, I would plead with you to come to Christ. Why? This is good. No matter where you've done, what you've done, where you've been, he'll forgive you. Based on the promise of the word of God, if you repent, you will not perish. If you turn, you will not burn. 
Listen to me when I tell you, the Bible says, All those that come unto me I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'd encourage you to come. He'll forgive you. He'll receive you. He'll place his spirit within you that will transform you and give you victory over defeat. I'd just say whatever the need is, Christ is the answer. You come. Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor to share the truths of your word. Thank you for the attention of your people. And God, we thank you for the anointing of the Spirit of God in your word. And we ask that it would go forth in great power and demonstration to give us help. There's not a one here in the building, not a one under the sound of my voice, not a one that will watch this later or hear this later that does not need the help of God, the leadership of the Spirit of God in our lives. So Lord, may this be a mighty day of people finding what they need in Christ Jesus. I understand for that to take place that the devil's got to be evicted. We pray that every distraction be removed. God, we pray that you would have preeminence in this invitation and you'd do that which pleases you the most. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. As you call, as you draw, let us come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.